Our scripture reading today is from 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 3 through 12 from the Common English Bible. If anyone teaches anything different and doesn't agree with sound teaching about our Lord Jesus Christ and teaching that is consistent with godliness, that person is conceited. They don't understand anything but have a sick obsession with debates and arguments. This creates jealousy, conflict, verbal abuse, and evil suspicions. There is constant bickering between people whose minds are ruined and who have been robbed of the truth. They think that godliness is a way to make money. Actually, godliness is a great source of profit when it is combined with being happy with what you already have. We didn't bring anything into the world and so we can't take anything out of it. We'll be happy with food and clothing. But people who try to get rich fall into temptation. They're trapped by many stupid and harmful passions that plunge people into ruin and destruction. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some have wandered away from the faith and have impaled themselves with a lot of pain because they made money their goal. But as for you, man of God, run away from all these things. Instead, pursue righteousness, holy living, faithfulness, love, endurance, and gentleness. Compete in the good fight of faith. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. Good to be with you. We're in our sermon series called Skid Row, talking about the temptations of money, sex, and power. This weekend, we're talking about money. So I thought I'd start by just a little, you know, when you go to the doctor, you go to the doctor and you get a shot or they want to draw blood and right before they stick the needle in, what do they say to you? This might hurt a little. You know that phrase, you know, this might hurt a little. I, I kind of want to put that out front this, this morning on this sermon on money and just say, this might hurt a little, all right? And it's okay, because we know that the, the, the little bit of pain that we may have to think about or endure is actually good and healthy and, and will help us in our spiritual lives. So consider it a little bit of inoculation this morning. <laughs> but I was thinking about this. I struggle with this as well. I know you do. So I have noticed something about my iPhone, and that is the battery doesn't hold the charge well anymore. And I, I've actually had this, this isn't a four, five, or six, does anybody, SE, I'm still on the S, iPhone SE. Um, it, its battery is starting to fail, and so naturally, what do I do as a consumer? I go onto the online uh, Apple store, and I start looking at the new Apple iPhones. Now, if I'm really honest with you and honest with myself, there's nothing wrong with my phone other than the battery. They're, they're, I'm perfectly content with everything on my phone. All the apps work. I have everything I need. I can make phone calls. I can text silly videos to my wife. I can do all the things I want to do with this phone right here. But when I go online and I look at the new iPhone, I see all the new features 
and how much better the new iPhone is than my current iPhone SE. And I start to wonder, maybe it's time to get a new iPhone. Because I see all the cool stuff that it can do and the retina display and the face recognition and the way it can take pictures versus the way this one takes pictures. And what happened? Now notice what happens inside of me. What has just happened inside of me? I was perfectly content until I saw the new one. When, when I saw the new one, what happened inside of me was it created discontent in me to get a new iPhone, when really all that's needed is a new battery. Now, this is part of the issue, isn't it, with money? This is part of the problem with money. Uh, PBS a long time ago did a, did a, stu- uh, did a, a TV series, a TV show about this. And they, I love this definition of American consumerism. They call it, this is the diagnosis for the problem. It's called affluenza. Has anybody ever heard this before, that we have affluenza? Right? Here's some of the description, definition of affluenza. The bloated, the, oh, bloated, the bloated sluggish, an unfulfilled feeling that results from efforts to keep up with the Joneses, right? What did I start feeling when I looked at the new iPhone? Unfulfilled, right? I'm not fulfilled anymore. I'm not content anymore. Or how about this one? An epidemic of stress, overwork, waste, and indebtedness caused by dogged pursuit of the American dream. And then the third one, an unsustainable addiction to economic growth. The love of money, (laughs) the love of money is what Paul calls it when he speaks to Timothy. Check out the symptoms. That's the diagnosis. Check out some symptoms. We found that over the past few decades, there has been less family stability as we've pursued our affluenza. We can actually see this. This It's documented. There's research behind this. One of the things they've discovered is that there's been an increase in teen anxiety, depression, and substance abuse. And the reasons, the two things that they, they, they think is going on with that is one is that lack of parental time because both parents are working more and more and more. In fact, we're working more today than we did maybe 20, 30 years ago in a time uh, when we actually thought technology was going to make us work less, right? Remember those days? Remember, did anybody ever think that, right? But we're actually working more, and they're, they're showing that they're starting to see how this is affecting family relationships. The other thing is, not only is that, there's this lack of parental relationship time, uh, but also another thing that's happening there is this push of us to help people achieve. We're pushing our young people to achieve more and more and achieve more than we did. And that stress of achievement with lack of parental quality time is actually creating anxiety and depression and turning to substance abuse and other things in their lives. So that's part of the symptom of affluenza. Another symptom is this. We can see this. We can track this with tax returns over and over again, year after year after year. The more money a person makes, the less generous they become as a percentage of income. That the people who are more generous make less money. The more we begin to make, we actually become less generous as a percentage of income. So take, that's proved out every year on tax returns. Here's another thing. We also become less compassionate as people. Uh, they've done research around this, and they found that, that when we have more, we actually become more distant from the needs of the world, and we become less compassionate 
to people. Uh, they did a study. I thought this was an interesting study, so I'll share this one with you, is that they put people, they, they had people come in and take a survey, and they had to determine whether they felt that they were well off or not financially. And so one group would come in, they'd say, yeah, we're pretty well off. And then other people would rate themselves and said, no, we're, we're, we're not really well off financially. And then at the end of the study, as they left the room, they were allowed to take some candy uh, from, uh, from this display of candy on the way out of the room. And they were told that you could take as much as you want and whatever's left over, we're going to give to kids that don't have any candy down the hall. And so they did this. That was really the experiment, right? <laughs> and when they compared the two groups, the people who thought they were really well off, who were well off financially, versus the people who thought they weren't well off financially, the people who thought they were well off took more candy and left less for others than the people who felt like they didn't have enough and were willing to leave more for others. Because why? Because we get disconnected from compassion when we don't have to rely anymore on anybody else to help us. Remember those days, some of you maybe remember the days when you used to go to a neighbor's house and borrow a tool or borrow a cup of sugar or borrow some milk. Do you remember those days? doesn't happen much today, does it? We just go get it ourselves because we're less reliant upon one another because we have everything. We've given in to affluenza. We've given in to this. And it's interesting because Paul actually warns us against this. The Bible actually warns us against this in 1 Timothy. He says, but people who are trying to get rich fall into temptation they are trapped by many stupid and harmful passions that plunge people into ruin and destruction. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Here we see it again, skid road, right? Falling into temptation. It's a skid road. It's a slide that we go towards. Again, we see in this the same thing we talked about last week, that diagram that I showed you last week of how we slide down this slope and fall into temptation. And we can see that it leads, as Paul says, to ruin and destruction. Do we have that from last week, that image from last week, diagram from last week? There we go. Remember this from last week? We talked about sliding and, and the, the, how desire takes over our lives and we ruin our lives. The other thing that, that Paul says is that this is a root, right, of all kinds of evil. And what roots do is they nourish a tree that then branches out in different ways. And I get this image that, that Paul's giving us, to Tim, giving Timothy and us, is that, that when we root ourselves in this love for money, when that's where our roots are, we begin to, all kinds of things start to shoot off of that, right? All kinds of behaviors start to come off of that root problem. And so that's what he's saying here. We saw it again uh, this week. Anybody check the news about the, uh, the college cheating scandal? Did you hear about that this week? Where they were parents spending anywhere from 200000 to $6.5 million to get their children into prestigious colleges. They've charge 50 people, and they think it actually is more widespread than those 50. So they're investigating. They actually think that there's more involved. But so far, they've charged 50 people in this, in this problem. And it, it goes to uh, bribing athletic coaches, setting up fake foundations, getting ACT and SAT tests corrected by college prep organizations, 
and there's been all these people charged, parents, uh, university uh, people, and they think that this has become a, a problem within the, the university system across the nation. And they're wondering how far does it go. But do you see that? See how the, the, the love of money, of trying to achieve, of trying to get more, of trying to get that college degree is then pressuring, and they're using money to then do these other, in this branching out in many different deceitful behaviors. So the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, bribery, cheating. You can start to see how that works. And uh, I think the only, uh, we probably would have heard about it either way, but a couple uh, high-profile Hollywood folks were involved, and that's part of the reason it's gotten news coverage. But I think the insidious thing about money and the love of money, and this is also what Jesus taught us, is that money begins to be its own God. Money actually takes and replaces God in our lives. And so what happens inside of us is that money becomes what we worship rather than God. We don't like to think that way. We don't like to think of ourselves. A lot of times I hear people say, and I even heard many people who've taught on the subject say, well, money's neutral. Money's neutral. It's all about how you use it. And I think, yeah, I get that. I understand that. But Jesus actually called it mammon. He gave it a God-like quality. It's something that can take us over and take over our lives. It takes the place of God. It becomes something that we worship. Jesus actually was asked, a, a rich young man came to him one day and said, what must I do to inherit the kingdom of God? He says, what does the law say? And he ticked off all the Ten Commandments. He says, well, that's good. But he said, well, what else must I do? And Jesus said to him, go sell everything you have and follow me. And he refused to follow Jesus, and he walked away sad, it says in the text, because he was wealthy, because he had so much wealth, and he couldn't bring himself to let go of his wealth. And then that's where Jesus gives us this kind of truth and jest. Do you know that Jesus has a sense of humor? Here's one place where we see it in Luke 18, 25. He says, it's easier for a camel to squeeze through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter God's kingdom. Why is that? Because the camel, there's just no way. It's just, it's a funny thing to really think about a camel trying to go through it. That's impossible, right? Because the camel is too big, too large an animal to go through that little eye of a needle, what Jesus is saying is that wealth becomes so big in our lives, possessions, materialism, it's become so huge in our lives that when we go to enter the kingdom of God, we can't fit into the kingdom of God with all our stuff. It's like a camel. Have you ever known that, you know, if you've ever been a kid and you remember those old cookie jars and you stick your hand in, but it only, it was enough to fit your hand in the cookie jar? And if you actually grabbed a cookie and tried to pull it out, it wouldn't fit out. And you had to let go of the cookie to get your hand out of the jar. That's what Jesus is saying. You, you actually have to let go of it. <laughs> you have to let go of wealth and materialism and affluenza. You have to let go of it to get out, to get unstuck. <laughs> That's what he's saying in this parable, in this phrase. So the thing that's holding us back from God's kingdom is maybe the thing that we're worshiping that we're holding on to so much. And maybe we're holding on to it too tightly. So what are we to do? What do you do? 
Well, Paul actually gives us some advice. First piece of advice that I would say that Paul gives us is this, to pursue contentment. To find ways to pursue contentment. So here's how this works. Go back to my iPhone. Contentment, consumerism, let's go back to consumer. I started with consumerism. So consumerism, my consumerism tells me what? Go buy a new iPhone. But if I let contentment drive that decision, what do I do? I just replace the battery. That's really all that needs to be done. So I'm probably going to go get this battery replaced because that's what contentment dictates. Consumerism, if I give in to that, then I'm going to go get a new iPhone. And I'm not saying that a year from now you might not find me with a new iPhone. I have to confess that. But, but there's that draw, right? But I'm, my plan right now is to go get the battery replaced if you know, Apple, get Apple to replace this battery for whatever it's going to cost, $29, I think. So I think about that. How does contentment drive us rather than consumerism? And that's what Paul says in verse 6. He says, actually, godliness is a great source of profit when it is combined with being happy with what you already have. Be happy with what you already have. When our consumer culture is driven by making us unhappy with what we already have. See the difference? Contentment is about being happy with what we already have. The world wants us to be unhappy with what we already have so that we'll do what? Consume more. And that's what we get caught up in. The other thing that I, I think that Paul is advising us to do here and advising Timothy is to pursue simplicity. Simplicity. Paul reminds us that, you know, when you came into the world, when we came into the world, we brought what? We brought nothing with us. <laughs> And when we leave this world, we're not taking any of it with us either, right? You come into the world with nothing, you're leaving the world with nothing. So what's this about? It's temporary. All our stuff is temporary. So what does it look like to simplify? Well, I thought, you know, in today's world, Marie Kondo could help us. That's my, when I thought of simplicity, I thought, well, let's, let's KonMari this thing, right? Let's, let's bring in some KonMari and see what sparks joy, Right? I want to mention, though, that didn't something spark, the reason we bought something is because it sparked joy in us, right? Think about that, right? I mean, the reason I went and bought it was because it sparked joy in me at the moment. So if I just go with this thing about sparking joy, I'm going to buy more stuff. And then I'm going to go home and get rid of stuff. And I'm just, so what I'm doing through this KonMari method and through Marie Kondo method is, is I'm just managing my stuff. I'm decluttering I'm not simplifying. I think that it's simplification. Here's the trick. I think that it's simplification, but really what I'm doing is I'm organizing and decluttering my life. Actually, I was all on board with Marie Kondo until I saw this meme on, on uh, social media. Ideally, keep fewer than 30 books, and it says that no one wants that kind of negativity. I'm like, no. If you've ever been in my office, you'll see I got a lot of books. And when I heard 30 books, I said, that's impossible, right? It'd be easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for me to get rid of all my books, right? Because I'm a little bit of a junkie. So I think about this, and, but, but this idea of simplification is important, I think. And, but I started to think about this, and I think about what's happening is that, why, here's the thought I had. Why do we need Marie Kondo? Why, why does a person like Marie Kondo even exist in our society, right? It's because of our affluenza. 
If you, don't have a, if you and I don't have a problem with our stuff, we don't need Marie Kondo. We don't need Conmar. You see what I'm saying? If you're not an alcoholic, there's no reason for Alcoholics Anonymous. If we're not addicted to our stuff, there's no need for someone to help us manage it. <laughs> so why do we need help managing? It says, well, you got a problem. And I'm, I'm, I'm with you on that. It, it can, I am a witness to that. I am I'm part of that. I fight this all the time, this idea of simplicity that, and the admitting that. But first of all, what's the first step in recovery? Admit you got a problem. Admit that you have a diagnosis called affluenza, consumerism. See, because I think what Paul is saying is that simplicity is not about managing our stuff. Notice that Paul breaks it down to just two things. He says, you, if you have food and you have clothing, you have enough. If you have food and you have clothing, you have enough. Think about that. Think about the simplicity of that. He didn't mention a roof over your head. He didn't mention mode of transportation. He didn't, certainly didn't know anything about iPhones and how necessary they are, right? <laughs> but that's really what he's saying. He's like, oh, what, is, what is enough? What's enough? And it's not about managing the external. Here's what I think Paul's saying. It's not about managing the external stuff in our lives. And I think what, this, what I'm trying to say through this whole sermon is it's not about managing this stuff and the money. It's about managing this right here, the heart. It's about managing the stuff that's going on inside of me as a consumer. <laughs> it's about managing that internal drive and thinking what's going to spark joy rather than what's going to please God. What is it? What does contentment look like? What does simplicity look like for me as a person? And how do I work towards that? Paul actually uses two, he actually commands two things here at the end of the passage. He says, run away and fight. Now it's not a, it's, he's not contradicting himself. He's actually saying, fight or flight. That when it comes to affluenza, when it comes to money, when it comes to materialism, when it comes to wealth, that you and I are supposed to run away as fast as we can. If it's a temptation for us, whenever we're faced with a temptation, we're to run away. Just like Joseph did when he got caught by his cloak and he, and he was cornered, he ran out of there as fast as he could. That's actually what Paul's saying. We need to flee, run away, get away from it as fast as we can. So I'm going to have to run out of the Apple store a couple times, right? That's part of it. But he also says, fight the good fight of the faith. And it is a fight at times. It is hard to fight against these internal drives and the temptations and desires that are going on within us. And he says, fight those for the sake of your faith. Fight them. Run away and fight. It's like if you come across a bear out hiking on the trails in the mountains and you come across that bear, you're, this little mechanism in the back of your reptilian brain is going to kick in. You're going to see that bear as a threat, and you're going to do one of two things. You're going to run away or you're going to fight, depending on the situation. Most of us are going to run away, right? Everybody, can I get a witness? We're all running away, right? But if you're in a situation where you can't run away, you're going to have to fight um, because it's a threat. And so what Paul is actually saying is this is a threat to us spiritually, this is a threat to our health, spiritual health, mental health, emotional health. 
And we ought to either be running away as fast as we can or fighting it as best we can. And we need to struggle against that, run away or fight. So how do you do that? I'm going to give you the prescription for affluenza. You ready? You ready for the prescription? It's from Richard Foster. He says this, when we give our money, when we give our money, we are releasing a little more of our egocentric selves and a little more of our false security. He's basically saying, give it away. Release it. Let go of it. Shrink it to the size that you can fit through the eye of the needle. Shrink it. (laughs) Simplify it. Be content with what you have. Give it away. The only way to solve this, and I think this happens, every time I give money away, it, it just, it frees me up. It frees me from my consumerism. And so I know I'm a pastor that is a nonprofit, and every time there's a little bit of awkwardness for me to talk about money because I think people will hear, oh, all the church wants is my money. If, this is, if that's what you're hearing, here's what I'm going to tell you to do. Don't give it to the church then. Give it to somebody who needs it. I'm asking you to do something that's going to be spiritually healthy for you. Does the church need it? Absolutely. But the more important thing is your spiritual health, your discipleship, your ability to be in the kingdom of God. That's more important. So I am saying, take your medication. Take my, I need to take the medication. You need to take the medication. We need to be inoculated against consumerism. The way we get inoculated against consumerism is we become more generous with our wealth. We give it away. And I was actually, as you know, sometimes the the preacher gets more convicted than the listener. And I began to think about this more. And it began to challenge me to think about what is the goal of my wealth? Matt's wealth. And I started to reflect on it, and I began to dream about this a little bit. And I hate to say this out loud because it's going to be public and it'll be recorded forever, and there'll be accountability but I think about this, what, is, what do I need to really sustain my life, my family? What, what's that amount? What's that amount of money that I actually need to create sustain, financial sustainability? So then I can give everything else away. What does that look like? Like, what if that was the goal of my wealth? What, what if that were the goal? And there are people who've lived that goal. People like John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, did that. To actually move to the place where I am sustained so what, can I live on 70% and give 30% away? Can I, can I live on 50% and give 50% away? See? And where, how do I get to that place? And how do I work towards that moment when I'm able to bless other people and really just take care of my family, but also be a blessing to others generously? That would require simplicity and content, a lot of contentment, wouldn't it? Let's pray together.